Welcome to the 222nd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd, and this, our last of four special college football preview editions of the podcast, our topics will be a look at the ACC, a look at the Pac-12, and a reveal of our preseason college football top 25. So let's jump right in with a look at the ACC. Patrick, who do you think has the toughest schedule in the conference? Well, I'm going to start by saying that uh, I'll give some credit that Clemson does play Notre Dame, Florida State, and North Carolina, who are three of the uh, quote-unquote big four opponents in the ACC, even though Notre Dame's not actually in the ACC, but they honestly play enough games that they're barely under the scheduling requirement for ACC conference teams themselves. Um, But they also play South Carolina in their non-conference, but they get all of those teams at home except South Carolina, so I will instead go with one of the only teams I could find, and they might be the only one, actually, to play all of those big four, and that is Duke. Uh, They start the season with a Monday night game against Clemson at home, which is a pretty tough game to break in a new roster, although actually Duke has the quarterback advantages there, returning Riley Leonard, whereas Clemson is actually trying to break in Cade Klubnick, who only played their their, uh, bowl game. I almost said bullpen because I'm so baseball-focused, but he only played their bowl game. Uh, If you saw that game... Their offense looked about as out of sync as I've seen Clemson's offense maybe in the entire playoff era, I'm willing to say that, Um, despite the fact they have a lot of talent there. Uh, But people know that, you know, there was kind of an ongoing competition throughout the year. Klubnik came off the bench a few times when DJ Uyagalele started the game. Uh, You're going to be hearing that name a lot today. Um, But he came off the bench in a few games, but Dabo would not let DJ give up the starting job, and I think that was honestly the right thing to do. Uh, even though I think for a few games they probably knew they couldn't win with him or that they had a lower chance of winning with him, but maybe thought it's probably not going to be any better to throw in a freshman in this situation. But regardless of that, um, Cade Klubnik has not actually made a start outside of that bowl game in maybe one or two games at the end of the year, like the game against South Carolina. So he's not exactly too experienced, but I think at this point, I think he will be experienced enough. Duke does have that advantage, though, that Riley Leonard has a full season of ACC play under his belt. Uh, probably the most underrated quarterback in all of the ACC. I would go on it. I would go out and say that. Um, but the rest of it, their non-conference, their Power Five game. You know, we talk about a lot of teams that have that Power Five uh, schedule requirement. I don't know if ACC teams have it, but a lot of them seem to because they play Notre Dame anyway. And if they don't play Notre Dame, they do tend to play other good teams, at least one. The thing is, Duke's scheduled team is Northwestern, which obviously a few years ago was. Ooh, the team that just won the Big Ten West, if you were talking about after 2018 or 2020. But now it's the team that will be breaking in a new head coach that lost to Duke last year already. Um, And Duke wasn't really in full swing yet at that point either. They started playing way better towards the end of the season last year. So this is probably the easiest draw you could get. Um, But at the same time, they have UConn. They made a bowl game. So I feel like that balances it out. Probably combined seven or eight wins between those teams, which... Maybe two years ago, that would be seven from Northwestern and one from UConn, so it's probably pretty much the same as it would have been when they scheduled it. But then things get really, really tough, um, and this is why they have the toughest schedule. They play Notre Dame to finish off their non-conference play, and then NC State at home, both of those games at home. But Florida State, Louisville on the road right after that, and then they go on the road to play North Carolina as well. Um, And although the Virginia game might be pretty much a gimme for Duke, they don't get the honor of playing any of Virginia Tech Georgia Tech, or Boston College, who are likely to all be somewhere in the bottom five or six of the conference, along with Virginia uh, and potentially Wake Forest or, or Syracuse, honestly, depending on how they can replace their important pieces on the roster. But the fact that they don't play any of those three teams is a big, big disadvantage for them. Uh, so they got the toughest schedule of the ACC this year. 
All right. Well, on the flip side, who's got the easiest schedule in the conference? Well, it has to be Louisville. They are get they are losing their very very good quarterback Malik Cunningham. I won't say star quarterback, but he is really really good and was really really good for them as a dual threat since basically since Lamar Jackson left Louisville. But despite the fact that they're losing that quarterback and also replacing a head coach, they are favored. Not not favored actually, but. Vegas has them as, I think, a a 7.5 over-under win team or an 8-win team, depending on what book you're looking at. That's crazy for a team replacing that much production, and that's that should be obvious to really anybody. Um, But when you look at schedules in the conference especially, that is where Louisville um, does shine there. You know, Louisville does play Notre Dame, um, so that is a tough one. But if you were to name, like, a big two of teams in the ACC, it's obviously Clemson and Florida State. And Florida State avoids both of those teams, and also Louisville also in, avoids North Carolina, who's the only other ranked team in the preseason other than Clemson and Florida State in the ACC. So to me, even though they play Notre Dame, and there are definitely some teams in the ACC that don't play Notre Dame, they don't get to have or they don't have to play any of the three top teams in the in the actual conference. And then they open the season against Georgia Tech, Murray State, and then Indiana, which again that's another game where it would have been tough a few years ago, but not so much anymore. And then they've kind of renewed that rivalry with Kentucky that they've now been playing as an end-of-the-year game every year. But this year, they get Kentucky at home. And yes, Kentucky got Devin Leary from NC State, but I do think that he's still... Maybe he might be a slight upgrade from Will Levis. He might be a slight downgrade. They're probably about the same. But the fact of the matter is, I think Kentucky overall, everywhere throughout their roster, is dealing with too much change to be as good as they've been in the past. Uh, So Louisville really doesn't play... They only play Notre Dame. They're the only ranked team that they play all year long, which is... Pretty crazy, um, and as we know, Indiana's not supposed to be very good either. So if Louisville, you know, if they can just get some of those teams, non-con who have been good recently, I guess, but I don't count Indiana there anymore, um, I, They, uh, we'll see what can happen with Louisville. I'll talk a little bit more about this later. So I honestly think that Louisville winning one, of the, one or two of those home games, if you include Notre Dame and... Uh, Kentucky, if they can win one of those, one or two of those games, they're looking at an eight and four or nine or three season. Uh, they play Boston College, Virginia Tech, Duke, and Virginia at home. I could easily see them going undefeated by the end of the season at home in conference with that slate, probably undefeated overall. Although that Notre Dame game is obviously going to be tough, that Kentucky game is obviously going to be tough. But I, I think that I, I think they can actually probably pull off one upset there. And then their other toughest games, arguably, are at Miami, at Pitt, and at NC State. Um, but I would not say that, I mean, again, I would rather play any of those three teams on the road than play any of the big three in the conference at home. Uh, so to be honest, this is just the reason why they have the easiest schedule in the ACC, especially considering the fact that they are supposed to be a good team themselves. But I mean, when your hardest three games of the year are against Duke at home and then three games against middle of the conference teams on the road, I I don't think it can be anybody else but you in terms of the hard, the easiest schedule. Yeah, when you look at that schedule, maybe you know why Jeff Brown waited a couple of years to take the job. Uh, he spied that schedule and said, okay, going to be a little transition. The schedule's easy. Very Wisconsin-esque schedule as we harken back to what we talked about the Big Ten. All right, well, let's go uh, take a look at your predictions for who are the biggest challenger or challengers to win the conference. Well, I think Clemson is the easiest answer um, because I have Florida State as the winner of the conference. As I, That's a little bit of a spoiler, but... To make things more interesting and not go with the obvious, because if you if you have Clemson winning the conference, then Florida State's your biggest challenger. If you have Florida State as your conference winner, then Clemson's the biggest challenger. But I'll throw some praise to North Carolina. A lot of people don't like how Drake May finished the season. I, I do agree with that. I think that 
there's really only um, a camp that's overrating him massively and a camp that's underrating him massively, which is really odd. It's very hard to see players that are that, or a player that's that divisive in terms of rankings, especially with a quarterback. But there are a lot of people who think that the first nine games of the season, Drake May, that was eight and one, and it was an easy Heisman contender, is the only Drake May. And there are a lot of people that only think that the last four games, Drake May, that still almost beat a top 10 Oregon team in a bowl game, or near top 10 team in a bowl game, um, is also the only one existing. So you got to go somewhere in between that for me. And I do think that he can do the same thing against the lower level teams of the conference this year again. And that honestly should be enough to put them in a position at the end of the year that if Clemson or, or or Florida State falters, that they would be able to jump up and get second place for them. Um, but, you know, that brings me to my actual pick for the contender to win the conference, which would be Florida State, which if you listen to our other podcasts, you might have seen this coming. Uh, so I'll just go ahead and say that I do, in fact, have them winning the conference. I actually have them going undefeated in ACC play, like Clemson has done so many different times in the past. And I have them at 11-1 and overall due to a loss in the opener against LSU if you know anything about anything, you would know that that probably means I have them in the playoff, and it does. Um, that means that they are the third team in the playoff of the teams that we've discussed, and that leaves one spot left for other teams that we'll talk about later. Um, but look, they have two legitimate challenges all year. I almost gave them the easiest schedule. The only reason I didn't give them the easiest schedule is because they do play LSU, which is a harder game than any game on Louisville's schedule, and they do play Clemson, and it's on the road. But here's the thing. They beat LSU last year, albeit kind of fluky with all the missed kicks and everything, if you remember that game from week one. Um, but it's a neutral site game. It's manageable. And then they play at Clemson in week four. And honestly, after that, I don't see them losing a single game, regardless of how they start the season. So they might even start 2-2 two and two and end 10-2 and two as like a top seven, top six team. I wouldn't be surprised with any of that at all. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if they were undefeated after the Clemson game still and then really didn't lose any games in the rest of the season. Uh, I think most likely they lose one of those games. Um, and uh, the reason why I gave them the LSU loss in my uh, predictions is because it meant that I could actually jam them into the playoffs because if I gave them a loss to Clemson, then Clemson might work their way in there. So I had to make sure that because I thought FSU is the superior team to Clemson, I had to give them the right path to actually make the playoff, and that is what I did. But if you really look at it, um, Clemson on the road in Week 4, LSU neutral site. They avoid North Carolina, Notre Dame, NC State, and Louisville. I like those odds on scheduling. Um, and, you know, it looks like the, the winner of Clemson and FSU in the regular season will be a guaranteed playoff team if they also win the ACC championship game. Um, and while I have FSU losing that first game to LSU... I, again, I said I have them going on the road and beating Clemson, um, and they would be the number three seed. This would also be interesting as Florida State would become the only team to be in the inaugural and the final four-team college football playoff before expansion as Alabama, Ohio State, and Oregon were the other three, and I just knocked another team off the playoff board, although I think I don't really think many people have Oregon as a playoff team anyway. Um, and spoiler alert, we already talked about this. Uh, I don't have Alabama, Ohio State, or Oregon making it this year. So that would be an interesting stat if Florida State was able to pull that off. It would also be kind of funny because they have gone through a weird era of eight years in between that playoff appearance and now. So it would be kind of interesting to see if they'd be a real national championship contender again in the final year of the four-team playoff and would also give them a lot of momentum in recruiting knowing that there's a 12-team playoff and they would be the only team that could claim that they were in the first playoff and the last playoff of the four-team playoff and then move on 
to the 12-team playoff. If this situation plays out how it does, although let's be honest, there's probably a pretty good chance that one of Alabama or Oregon or Ohio State does make it. Yeah. But it's also very possible that they don't. And a lot of people, I would say right now, are guaranteeing Georgia and Michigan both going undefeated, which leaves only one spot for other for a non-ACC team. And we'll just see. I don't think Oregon's taking that spot anyway. So we'll talk about that, though, later. I don't want to talk too much about the Pac-12. Okay. Well, I think Alabama and Ohio State probably have a good chance of making it to Florida State. But let's see. It's an interesting little fact. We'll monitor it over the course of the season and see what happens at the end of the season. Well, uh, what do you have as the overall standings in the conference? There are no divisions this year, as you spoke about in a, in a prior uh, podcast. Well, I will say one little anecdote about that. I would I would rather take any team's path that doesn't go through Georgia if they're a top eight team and Florida State doesn't have to play Georgia, so I'll take that. Um, and Alabama also has a game against LSU that's in that's in that state, so I don't really. I think it's honestly pretty even there, especially schedule wise. And honestly, as we'll see later, I actually view Florida State pretty much on the same level as Alabama. Um, but Florida State, as I said, eleven and one, eight and zero in conference, the top team. Clemson, I still do have coming in second at ten and two, seven and one in conference. Uh, North Carolina, I have going six and two in conference, ten and two overall, not taking a non-conference loss to Minnesota or South Carolina. Um, although I do have South Carolina beating Clemson at the end of the year just because I think they might not really care if they've already guaranteed that spot, and they would have at that point. Uh, then I have Louisville riding that easy schedule in the ACC to a 5-3 and three conference record, but a 7-5 and five overall record, giving them both the home loss to Kentucky and the home loss to Notre Dame. Although, once again, that's why I'm saying they could so easily go 8-4 and or 9-3. and three. They just need to win one of those two games. Then I have a logjam. I have Duke, Syracuse, NC State, Miami, and Pitt, all at 7-5 and five and 4-4 four and four in conference. Uh, I wanted to somehow split them up, but I don't really see the point in just splitting teams up just for the hell of it, so I decided to just leave them all together. Um, I looked at the season, how it played out. I do think that Duke is a cut above the rest here, and NC State is probably in that mix as well. Um, I think Pitt is falling down to where they should have been for the past few years because they're losing, they've lost their quarterback play. Um, and now they've lost Israel Banacanda as well. So now they don't have their running back who has been carrying them alongside Kenny Pickett two years ago. And then now last year alongside Keaton Slovis and I guess Nick Patty for half the season. Um, but Duke, again, I do think is the best team out of that whole log jam. But the thing is that schedule is the reason why they're going to lose four games. I don't see them winning every single game in that. I, I don't even see them winning one or two games out of that um, span that I talked about that's really rough for them. Um, and then, you know, Miami, they have a good quarterback. I don't see them missing a bowl game again, despite the fact that I don't have them being a contender at all. Syracuse, they lost their running back, who was basically their whole team, but they kept their quarterback and tight end, which is a pretty lethal combo um, with Garrett Schrader last year. So I'd like them to have pretty much the same season, even though they didn't play well at the end of the season. Um, and then... At the bottom of the conference, there's only one team here that I have making a bowl game. It's Wake Forest, despite the fact that they end up at the bottom of a 3-5, and five, three-way tie. They lose Sam Hartman. They lose three or four wins. I think that's a fair outcome. Uh, Boston College and Virginia Tech. I have Virginia Tech improving this year, but not by enough to make a bowl game. Boston College, they kind of always sit at this 5-7, and 6-6 six and six range. They're normally a decent team, though. Uh, sometimes, actually, a, a decent amount of time they get into bowl games. But the A.J. Dillon is long, era is long past us for Boston College, so I don't know how much talent they have there, and then Virginia and Georgia Tech at the bottom of the conference, which for Virginia, unfortunately, has been very common recently. For Georgia Tech, uh, that has just become the norm for them, that they sit at the bottom of the conference. I have both of those teams going 3-9 and 1-7 and and in conference. 
All right, who's a surprise candidate to potentially win this conference? Well, I think it's Louisville if you want to decide this by schedule, and it would be a shock to see Louisville playing Clemson or Florida State despite potentially going 8-4 and four with two non-conference losses. But I actually think Duke is the third best team in this conference by talent, and given how tough their schedule is, they have the rare opportunity to really control their destiny. Um, they can get any tiebreaker that they're going to need to be able to make the ACC championship game, and it's going to be in their hands. Uh, the only problem is just that North Carolina has a lighter schedule in conference and plays Duke at home. So by the end of the season, it might look like Duke is a worse team, but the difference might actually not be that large. And why am I talking about North Carolina so much? Well, I think they're the candidate to, spe- to steal a spot from Florida State or Clemson if one of them gets either destroyed by injuries. You know, Florida State has a De- DeAndre Francois situation where Jordan Travis goes down in the first game, which, well, I mean, that was super unfortunate for Florida State. They were top four that year heading into the year, and then he got injured in their opening game against Alabama, and the team never looked the same. Um, But, you know, that's just something that can happen to them, and I don't know how strong their backup quarterback is. I'm not going to say that he's bad because I haven't done enough research on it. I'm not going to say that he's good either, but I guarantee you their backup quarterback is not as good as Jordan Travis and would not be able to play as such uh, if he had to. So I really think that other than North Carolina... I think Duke is that team that can actually hang with those upper echelon teams that isn't North Carolina. Um, So if there is a chance for one of them to slip up for one reason or another, I think that Duke talent-wise should be able to do it. And I also think that they do have the potential to pull an upset or two. And if they're able to pull two upsets and they're against teams that they would have to win a tiebreaker against, you know, say Clemson loses that game to Florida State and then Duke is able to pull the upset on Clemson, all of a sudden you're looking at can can Duke go through the rest of the season only have two losses? In that case, if they're at two losses, Clemson's at two losses, but Duke beat Clemson, now you have Duke playing Florida State instead. So I think it's honestly very possible that they could sneak their way in there. They just have a really tough gauntlet of a schedule to try to get through it, but I really do think they have the talent to do it. Okay, let's move off of the ACC and move over to a conference that uh, may be trying to take a few AC, a few members into the ACC. We'll see what happens. Certainly a conference that is not going to look the same next year, uh, if it even exists. So a look at the Pac-12 in its last, probably, iteration that we're all familiar with. Well, the playoff is getting 12 teams next year. The Pac-12 is getting four teams next year. Pretty ironic, those teams, before it was a four-team playoff and a 12-team Pac-12, now it's going to be a four-team Pac-12 and a 12-team, four-team playoff. I don't playoff, think it's going to be a 4 <laughs> It's not going to be, but zero team or more. But they do have that two-year exemption that we heard about. They can they can exist and they can collect TV money. And unless the playoff changes their rules, they, their conference champ would be. And I think they'll change the rules for that. Um, let's let, before we speculate about the future. It's a conference in transition. The last year, who's got the toughest schedule of the last schedule of the Pac-12 as we know it? Well, I will say also when you talk about that, that is definitely a situation that they would put in a contract for something like that. That would be definitely one of those things included in an exemption avoiding the contract if possible. No, they have to vote to change the rules. Well, I think, okay, well, if they have to vote to change the rules, I don't think a vote would uh, not go through. The vote's going to go through. Yeah, (laughs) with with the four teams being Oregon State and Washington State, Cal and Stanford especially. Although no shame to Oregon State because as we're going to talk about, that team's actually on their way up. Uh, But... I'll get on to the toughest schedule. Um, a lot of people don't actually think it's somehow it's them somehow from research I've done um, and looking at other articles just because I wanted to gauge the public opinion on this. But to me, it's obvious that it has to be Utah or Colorado. I think a lot of people are saying it is Colorado, though. But I'm going with Utah. 
Main reason, I don't bail out teams for being the worst team in the conference and saying that they have the hardest schedule because of that, because that's too easy. They don't get to play themselves, so they don't get the one gimme in the conference. Um, but Colorado does play TCU and Nebraska in the non-conference, which is tough. But I think if you were to go and do a preseason ranking where you asked everybody to rank 1 through 133, I think that the average number that you would get of TCU and Nebraska would actually be a little bit lower than ranked than Utah's slate of Florida and Baylor because I do think that the difference between Baylor and Nebraska, or sorry, the difference between Florida and Nebraska is way different, that is way bigger than the difference between TCU and Baylor. Um, but I think overall, TCU is definitely the best of the four, but Nebraska is also definitely the worst of the four. So if you look at those four opponents trying to compare who has the tougher non-con, I'll just go ahead and say Utah. Um, even though I'm notoriously low on Florida and have them going 5-7 and seven because of their schedule, it's more about their schedule. If Florida had Nebraska's schedule in the Big Ten West, Florida would probably be a 9-3, and 10-2 type team, in my opinion. Uh, although the Graham Mertz experience has gone through the Big Ten West before, and it has not gone 9-3 and three in the past, so maybe that's wrong. Um, but no offense to Wisconsin, but I also do think that Florida has a lot better talent around Graham Mertz than Wisconsin ever did. So I think that's actually a fair statement to make. But regardless of that comparison... The rest of the Utah schedule includes all four of the other ranked Pac-12 teams. Uh, and while Colorado also plays four ranked Pac-12 teams, they avoid Washington, who in my opinion is the second best team in the conference. Um, Utah, on the other hand, plays those four and only one of those games, the game against Oregon, is a home game. And I think that's also really important for them. Uh, I think on paper they are in the conversation with Washington for the second best team in the conference. And maybe on paper they are the second best team in the conference. I favor Washington slightly over them personally, but I just don't see how they go through this schedule without picking up at least three losses. For them to even get to three and three, which I think is generous given their schedule, even though that's the record I gave them, they have to win one game. They have to go undefeated on a home slate that includes games against Florida, UCLA, and number 15, Oregon, or they have to win one game against Baylor, number 18, Oregon State, number six, USC, or Washington on the road. And again, if they only win one of those, they have to beat all those teams, Florida, UCLA, and Oregon at home. Uh, I just think that Colorado will make their schedule look a lot harder than it is as well, just because they're the worst team in the conference. Um, and, you know, every if, if I did that for every single team, I mean, Indiana or Rutgers would always win that in the Big Ten, and Vanderbilt would always win that in the SEC in terms of toughest schedule, because Vanderbilt has the massive disadvantage of not getting able to play Vanderbilt. Um, so... I can't do that with Colorado, uh, despite the fact that I do think that Deion Sanders is going to make this team better. I don't think that making the 1-11 team better against this schedule will be like making a bowl game, something like that. I think their opportunity, honestly, next year is playing Big 12 teams because, to be quite honest, the top tier of the Pac-12 right now is way ahead of the top tier of the Big 12 once Texas and Oklahoma leave. Um, right now, if you actually did the rankings by the new conference, only Kansas State and I guess TCU would be ranked higher than, Kansas State and TCU would be ranked higher than Oregon State and none of the other current teams that are in the Pac-12 that Colorado's facing. So this is the toughest schedule Dion's going to have in his entire tenure at Colorado, no matter how long he's there. Um, I don't think that you can, I, 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 we'll get to Colorado later, but I don't think they can get the easy, I don't think they can get the toughest schedule just because of how bad they've been, but don't, don't take it as Dion's not a good coach if he only has a two or three win improvement from their one and 11 season. Okay. Who's got the easiest schedule in the Pac-12? I think UCLA is close to taking this because while they end up playing three of the five ranked preseason teams, their home slate is Coastal Carolina, NC Central, 
Washington State, Colorado, ASU, and Cal. So they're likely going to a bowl game if they only played home games this year and canceled the other six. They'd go 6-0 and be in a bowl game um, if they can just go undefeated at the Rose Bowl against a weak schedule. But three road games against Utah, Oregon State, and USC all might be losses. Um, but that would still open the door for a 9-3 and season uh, if they can go 3-3 three and three in their road games. Their path to doing that would be to beat San Diego State, Stanford, and Arizona, which really isn't that challenging, which is why, in my opinion, they are only the second easiest schedule. And instead, I'm giving it to Oregon State. They have the same game against San Diego State uh, that UCLA has, and then they have San Jose State instead of Coastal Carolina, which isn't as big of a drop-off as it could have been a few years ago, and then UC Davis, which is the equivalent of playing at C-Central, um, which is still a little bit easier than UCLA's non-conference. Um, and also in conference, while UCLA has to play USC, Oregon State, and Utah on the road, Oregon State only has three ranked games as well, and obviously they don't have to play Oregon State because they are Oregon State. And two big positives for them of those road games while this battle is close is that two of those games are at home, and none of those three are against USC, who is the clear top team in this conference, whereas UCLA does have to play USC. Um, They both play Utah and Washington at home, uh, and while the end of the season for Oregon State is at Oregon, I would rather play at Oregon at the end of the season than at USC at the end of the, the, the season. And also, there are other road games in conference are against Washington State, Cal, Arizona, State, Arizona, and Colorado, which might even be easier than UCLA's home slate that I'm saying they're going to go undefeated against. And then they play UCLA and Stanford, who I think they should be able to beat both of at home. And then one home upset over either Washington or Utah, that might be enough to put this team in position to make a run at the conference championship game, which is crazy considering where Oregon State has been in the past. All right, well, who do you think will win the conference? I think it's USC at 10-2, and two, and I will say, what ranking do I have USC at? Number four, and I know what you're thinking. Two losses. Playoff team? That doesn't make any sense. I do think that USC, and I know that they're not supposed to use name value, but they definitely do. I think that USC has enough name brand value that if they went two losses but won their conference, that would be enough to be ahead of either Alabama or Ohio State, even in this scenario where I have both of those teams only having one loss. Obviously, Alabama would actually lose in the conference championship game to Georgia as well, so it would actually be 11-2 and two with a conference championship game loss, and then USC at 11-2 and two also, but with a conference championship game win. Um, so I don't really think that would be too hard, but then it would come down to, is it better to be 11-2 and two and have won the Pac-12 or be 11 and one and have only lost to a 13 and 0 Michigan team. I do think that the con- I do think that the committee would actually pick USC in this scenario, though. Um, although it would probably be really, really tough. Um, I do have them though losing to Notre Dame and Oregon on the road, but I have those two teams finishing at number 11 and number 12, and I also have them beating Washington both at home and on a neutral site. Uh, so two top 10 wins, and I also have them beating Utah, which would give them three top 20 wins. And another team near the polls like UCLA, who, I mean, in my scenario, honestly, there might be enough AP voters, depending on how teams look in their games, that even with the exact same records in my scenario, UCLA could be a ranked team by the end of the season. Um, But I do think that Alabama in this scenario would kind of be like, and and also Ohio State, would kind of be like what happened to 2017-18 Ohio State, who went 12-1, won the Big Ten, but finished the year on the outside looking in for the playoff, despite having five wins against teams that were ranked at the time of the game. And for them, it was a 29-point loss at Purdue that did them in. Um, Interestingly, though, um, for USC, they would be continuing a trend of first-time college football playoff appearances after the end of the whole 
I mean, I called it the Alabama Clemson OU Ohio State era. I think that's an accurate way to name the era. I mean, pretty much every year it was those four. Maybe subtract one year, subtract Alabama and make it LSU. Two years, subtract Oklahoma and make it Notre Dame. Uh, So, and maybe Ohio State in one of those years. Um, But look, in 2022, TCU was a first-time entry. And by the way, Michigan was only in their second entry after they made their first in 2021. Cincinnati was also in their first playoff in 2021. Uh, and in 2020, look, a 6-0 Ohio State and 10-1 Notre Dame that was an ACC champion because they were in the conference for one year were the exception of the rule because they blocked number five Texas A&M. Honestly, in a different year, if Notre Dame, even, actually not even in a different year, even if in COVID Notre Dame played their schedule but did not play the ACC championship game, I think that if they're 9-1 and don't win their conference championship game, I think Texas A&M gets in instead at 8-1 and one after only losing to number one Alabama, who obviously went on to win the title that year and were way better than every other team in the, co- in the country. Um, that kept this streak from staying alive. But even if you go back before that, 2019, that was LSU's first and only appearance where they won it all uh, alongside Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma. And Notre Dame in 2018 made their first appearance with Alabama, Clemson, and Oklahoma. Uh, and in 2017, Georgia made their first appearance, even though the rest of the playoff featured, you guessed it, Alabama, Clemson, and Oklahoma. So there were those three teams all the time, but there were still first-time entries pretty much every year, except for that 2020 season. Um, and honestly, I do think that Texas A&M probably should have gotten in if it was a different situation. You never know what happens if those teams have to play their non-conference or if Ohio State has to play more than six games. Um, can't really say that much about it. I mean, what? Didn't Ohio State actually only play... They played five regular season games that year and then played Indiana in the conference championship game because of the way that the Big Ten only played conference games. So, look, 2020 is weird for everything. I mean, in every normal season, there's been a new entry other than in 2017. And it would also be, it would keep this kind of year of storybook endings alive, how I've had uh, with this whole 12-team playoff era starting with conference realignment. It would be a great story that Oklahoma, after their era of dominance in 2017, 18, and 19, backed by good quarterback play and Lincoln Riley, at the very end of the 14 playoff, Lincoln Riley rises from the ashes, takes USC, who, despite being one of the most proud programs of all time, has never made the playoff. Definitely, I think it's probably the top program of all time to not make the playoff. Maybe Texas, you could argue that. Um, But in terms of the other ones, Alabama, Notre Dame, Michigan, Ohio State, they've all made the playoff. Um, Oklahoma has all made the playoff also. So, I mean... There's really no argument that it's at least between USC and Texas and I guess maybe Nebraska if you feel like I don't really think so. Uh, But I think it's his time to bring USC to the playoff for the first time to keep that streak alive of new entries. And if it's not his time, I also have Florida State coming in anyway. So that would be be a second time entry since only the first playoff. But um, I think it's Lincoln Riley's time. And if not, look, USC is going to make the playoff at some point. I just don't see why it wouldn't be this year when they literally have the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback returning. I just don't see how they could screw this up with a coach who has experience of making three straight playoffs in a row with three different quarterbacks. How could he not, how could he mess this up with that, with this team? I just don't see it. Uh, injuries, especially the quarterback position. And That's true. Their defense needs to step up. It's been a problem on the defensive side of the ball, but I actually do agree with you. Um, well, it wasn't a problem when Oklahoma was giving no, up 60 no, points a playoff USC, game any to, anyway. At, at USC. <laughs> I didn't say he would win the playoff. I just made, said he would get in. They could have made it last year. Uh, and they should have. They, they should have, but they uh, they didn't seal the deal. Um, we're going to get into our rankings later, but I actually do have USC making the playoff myself, even though we're not doing playoff predictions. I think they're actually going to make it. I think the record's going to be uh, 11-1. 
But uh, let, well, before the conference championship game. All right, well, let's move on. Who do you think is the biggest challenger to USC to contend for first place in the Pac-12? Well, I just talked about a lot of reasoning in terms of why USC should be able to make it, but these might be the biggest reasons why they actually can't. Washington and Oregon. You want to talk about returning quarterback play. Michael Penix threw for 4,600 yards last year. He's coming back. His top three receivers are coming back. They're missing their main running back, but they don't really need to run the ball when they throw the ball for 5,000 yards. I don't really think running back play matters too much to that team. And they had their backup who played most of the games as well, splitting carries um, with their first ring running back. But look, I think USC's appearance in the Pac-12 championship game last year, along with their preseason hype, allows them to join Utah as the quote-unquote teams to beat in the conference. And as a result, because they're the de facto team to beat, I can't pick Utah as a challenger, and that's why I'm looking at Washington and Oregon. But look, Washington was somewhere in the mix with USC and Utah all season last year, and kind of the theme of these two teams is that you could make the argument they were the two best teams in the Pac-12 last year. They just got unlucky and had some things go wrong at the wrong time. Um, Washington got lost in the shuffle. Did you know that if you actually look at the final AP poll of the year, the top-ranked team of the Pac-12 was Washington? Washington. Yep. And they have, like I said, a quarterback through for 4,600 yards and finished, what, top eight, top seven in Heisman voting? I think he was somewhere in the mix with, you know, Blake Corum, Hendon Hooker, those guys that in terms of guys that didn't make it to New York but were still on that list. And they finished with an 11-2 and record and once again finished number eight in the country in the final AP poll after USC's late season collapse with two losses in their last two games and ahead of the 10-4 and four Utah Utes who probably shouldn't have even been in the conference championship game if you actually look at the rest of the season, and we'll talk about that in a second, um, but who also lost the Rose Bowl. And as I said, that offense is ridiculous. They ended with the seventh best scoring average in FBS. If you look at the teams out of them, I think it's literally like Western Kentucky, Michigan, uh, at Georgia, those types of teams. And it's really, it's honestly ridiculous that Washington was able to do that. But I will say, before I even get on to the specifics of this, the Pac-12 last year was insane. There was there was no defense being played at all. I think it's very perfect that half of these teams are going to the Big, Big 12, 12 yeah. because they're going to bring that era back. UCF doesn't play defense either. Uh, I mean, maybe TCU is going to become the enforcer of that conference and actually play some defense. But for now, none of these teams play any defense. Um, but going with that theme, though, there's also Oregon. They don't play defense. They've never played defense. Despite the fact that they stole Georgia's defensive coordinator as a coach, they still don't know how to play defense. Very similar to Oklahoma last year with Brent Venables as a coach. Despite taking top defensive assistant, they'd still just put up 50 points a game and couldn't defend anything. Um, but look, Oregon entered a game against Washington, number six in the conference, or sorry, in the country. And they looked to be on a collision course with USC for the conference championship game, undefeated in conference at the time, uh, seven get with only two games remaining in the regular season after that game. They were on the receiving end to a, of a fluky loss to Washington, I, w- I will say, at home after Bo Nix got injured in the fourth quarter, tried to play through it, didn't play through it well. Their backup came in. He doesn't even show up on the stat sheet because he did not complete a pass, but he was in the game for a few passes. There was actually a series where he threw the first down pass, Bo Nix threw the second, cor- second down pass, he came out limping. The third down pass was so bad that they took they're back up, back out of the game and put Nick's back in there limping. He somehow completed a 20-yard pass. No defense, by the way. Um, and that got them a first down. They almost won the game. They lost on an illegal touching penalty on a ball that would have given them in, that would have gotten them into the field goal range and they would have kicked a field goal to actually tie the game and send it to overtime. They knew that was what would have happened. But instead, they lost that game. 
And then they had an opportunity to clinch a Pac-12 championship game appearance by beating Oregon State, something that I don't think I've ever... I don't remember Oregon not beating Oregon State, honestly, in my lifetime, because Oregon State has just been terrible. Oregon had a 31-10 lead at Oregon State with that opportunity. They lost that game, even though they had a 98.6% winning probability on ESPN. They lost the game, and just because of that, they go from a team that could have been in the Pac-12 championship game and could have ended the season 10-2 and with a week one loss to Georgia and then just a three-point loss to Washington, but instead, they choked that lead, and they were outscored 21-3 in the fourth quarter, and Utah went to the Pac-12 championship game because despite the fact that Washington and Oregon were both actually 7-2 and in conference, Utah had beaten both of them and had the tiebreaker, but this is what I'm talking about when I say that you can call USC and Utah the teams to beat, these two have to be the challengers. They literally tied to be in the game last year. They just didn't win the right games. Um, and because of the way that those two lost the games that they did, how close they were and everything, how much production they return, they're easily the top challengers to USC, and they'll both be event- looking to avenge some tough losses on their schedule. And I don't, I mean, I don't know. Oregon could beat Washington by like 40 points just because they're mad about how that game ended. And, and also beat Oregon State by like 50, but they might still not make it. And Washington could also go out and say, we're still dominating Oregon. And by the way, Washington went into Oregon that year and won that game as the 25th ranked team when Oregon was number six. They get that game at home this year, so they do have a little bit of an advantage there. But look, they're both angry. They both have a lot of players returning. These have got to be the top two challengers if they're not the top two in the Pac-12 themselves. Yeah, although I will say uh, last year Washington snuck up on some people, although not me. I predicted them to have a rebound year. They're not going to sneak up on anybody this year. Nobody's going to take them lightly. All right, uh, with all that being said, I think we know who your top four teams are. We certainly know who your number one team is, but let's go over your predictions for the overall standings in the Pac-12 this year. I'll go over that in a little bit of the tiebreaker scenarios. Number four, USC at the top, 10-2, and 8-1 and in conference. A conference loss to Oregon and the non-conference loss to Notre Dame, as I said. But their two wins over Washington allow them to become the final team in the playoff. I have Washington, as I said, uh, with the tiebreaker or over Oregon from the head-to-head, beating them for the second year in a row because that game is at home for them. Um, but I do have them losing to Utah, and I do have them losing to USC in the regular season and then losing to them again in the conference championship game, just like you. And by the way, I will say, one of the main reasons I was not going to pick USC for the playoff is because Utah is because a lot of times when teams play each other, they don't, they're not able to take that regular season game and do it again in the conference championship game and go 2-0 against a team for the year. But here's the thing. Utah, last year, beat USC twice. I really feel like USC will have learned their lesson and everybody in that locker room will be saying, we thought that they had a fluky win against us because they beat us on a two-point conversion at home with no time left. Let's make sure that we don't get complacent and regardless of what happens in their game against Washington, let's go out and make sure that we actually close the deal this time. And I really think that that will be the motivating factor for them. Um, and then, as I said, Oregon, 10-2, and 7-2 in conference. Losses to Washington and Utah on the road mean they end up just on the outside looking in again. But again, they would be tied for second. So it would really just be a tiebreaker thing for the second year in a row and for their final year in the Pac-12. Um, but then I have number 19, Utah. And by the way, Oregon could go battle that out with Washington in 2024 in the Big Ten anyway. I de- they definitely will be playing each other because I don't see there's any way that the Big Ten wouldn't have those four coastal teams playing each other. There's That would be the dumbest thing in the world if they didn't play each other every year. I have faith in the Big Ten. Anyway, number 19, Utah. 
Uh, nine and three, six and three in conference. I do having I do have them going nine and three. I'm very high on Utah. I think that despite probably one of the toughest schedules in the country, I have them going nine and three. I have them getting to that very hard mark to reach considering their schedule. Um, I have them defeating Washington and Oregon actually, but I give them a surprising loss to the upset centric Arizona team. They get a little cocky. They overlook Arizona. You look at the Pac-12 last year. Another reason why teams didn't win the conference. It's because they lost really stupid games. It happens a lot in the Pac-12, actually. Washington's loss was to Arizona State. That's what kept them from playing USC. And by the way, Washington ended the season number eight. If they were 11-1 and and beat USC, they might have been in the playoff last year. But they weren't because they lost to Arizona State. So, yes, it seems stupid on paper, but that is exactly the type of thing that would happen in the Pac-12, and that's why I have them having that. And also, I just... By some means, they cannot make the conference championship game for the third year in a row and win it for the third year in a row. I just don't see that they can how they can do that. They're at such a talent disadvantage to everybody. Um, it's not like Michigan where, you know, they don't have a top five class with Ohio State, but they still are far ahead of everybody else in the conference in recruiting. Utah is below a lot of people in the conference in recruiting, and they're still playing better. It speaks to Kyle Whittingham and his coaching staff. They're amazing. But I don't see them winning three conference th- the, the conference three years in a row. And then in the rest of the standings, I'll go through it way quicker. Uh, I have Oregon State and UCLA at 8-4, and 5-4 and four in conference, just missing out, being a, you know, an others-receiving-ranked votes team by the end of the year. We'll see, depending on how the other teams play, depending on how close their games with them are, they might be ranked anyway, even with this exact same schedule uh, and exact same wins and losses against this schedule. I have Washington State being the lone other team in, the, in a bowl game out of these Pac-12 teams uh, at 6-6 six and six and 4-5 and five in conference. I have Cal at 5-7, and 3-6. and six. They have a pretty light schedule. Um, they're not that great, though, anyway. Uh, and then I also have Arizona and Arizona State at 5-7 and seven and 3-6. and six. And then I have Colorado going 3-9, and 2-7 and seven in conference before you say, oh, my God, you don't think Deion Sanders is a good coach. Like I explained earlier, getting two extra wins on this schedule compared to last year's schedule for Colorado would be a miracle. Um, so I will just say that this 3-9 season is a miracle. And I think that they're going to be a 7-5 and five or an 8-4 and four team in the Big 12 next year. It's just that they're not in the Big 12 yet. They're in the Pac-12 in probably the most competitive year the Pac-12 has ever had. And they play the top six teams in this conference for six of their nine conference games, as well as playing two Power 5 opponents and only having really one gimme game against Colorado State. And they're probably going to lose to Nebraska and TCU. So they lose. They go 1-2 in non-con. It's really hard to make a bowl game if you do that, no matter what conference you're in, but especially with their schedule in this conference in this year. And then at the bottom of the conference, I have Stanford at 3-9 and nine and 1-8 and eight in conference. All right. Uh, give me some surprise candidates to win the conference. Well, this one might be a little bit off the board. It is a trendy pick. They are in the top 20 in the preseason, so it's really not that surprising. Um, but I'm going with Oregon State. I think a lot of people see the top four as having relatively similar chances with a small step down from USC to the rest. So, you know, maybe you could say that Oregon is a surprise candidate, even though I call them one of the biggest challengers. I still think it can be, you can be a surprise and also be a big challenger. Um, But I can only call fifth place a true surprise as a result. And I think that Oregon State has more of a chance than they're getting credit for. Uh, To get them to five and four in conference, I had to give them losses to Washington State and Arizona. That's a six and six team and 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 a five and seven team, as well as top teams, Washington and Oregon, while only giving them one upset the whole year over Utah. And as we saw last year, they're more than capable of pulling off more than one upset. Um, and if they can pull two out of three from Utah, Oregon, and Washington, more likely than not, they'll be 10-2 and two or better overall, uh, and at least 7-2 and two in conference, which would probably be enough to get in the conference championship game. 
And I really think people are underestimating how much DJ Uyagalele can do with a scenery change. Uh, it's such an underrated factor just to be somewhere else. I mean, as we're in baseball season, there are so many. I can name like 50 relievers who have gone from one team to another and have gone from like worst pitcher in the league quality to like, this guy can pitch the eighth inning for me quality. Um, I feel like DJ Uyagalele could be the same thing in the Pac-12. The reason why I think that? Bo Nix at Auburn was terrible. Michael Penix struggled to win games at Indiana. And here he is in the Pac-12 with a top 10 team throwing for 4,600 yards. Yes, that does tell you how bad the defenses are in the Pac-12. Although Penix has always torched Michigan State. And I mean, yes, he did that for Washington last year too. But the fact of the matter is, we've seen guys transfer from very heavy pressure situations. And Indiana is not a pressure situation either. And go to the Pac-12. And I really think that it's possible DJ can take those exact steps with his own move out west. And realistically, you're looking at that list. No offense to Michael Penix, no offense to Bo Nix, but talent-wise coming out of high school, DJ was worlds ahead of these guys. I mean, listen, to, I'm just going to put it this way. Listen to some of the names who were ranked ahead, behind him in his recruiting class. There's one name ranked ahead of him, Bryce Young. Everybody else ranked behind him, who obviously he went number one overall. Everybody else behind him. You have CJ Stroud. You have Will Anderson, you have Jackson Smith and Jigba, Paris Johnson, Jalen Carter, Bijan Robinson. That's like half the top 10 picks. They were all ranked behind him by 5, 10, sometimes 20 spots. And I didn't even go beyond low, really high four stars and five stars on the recruiting class. I'm sure I could go down to number 100 and number 200 and find some other guys who went top five, top six, or go back the other year and find someone who came in as a senior from the draft. But even his Clemson teammates, Brian Brzee and Miles Murphy, both went in the first round. Every single one of those guys were ranked below him. And an Oregon State team with the easiest schedule in the conference gets him to add on to a stacked returning team. He probably, on paper, yes, there's Caleb Williams. He was a ridiculously highly rated recruit and won the Heisman. Outside of Caleb Williams, if you're looking on pure talent alone, DJ is actually the best quarterback in this conference outside of Williams, who's just in a class of his own. The question is, can Oregon State find a way to get that paper, to get that talent to play out on paper, play out on the field, enough for them to actually be successful. It is possible, but I'm telling you, they have a much they are not a long shot to win this conference. It would be a surprise, but people are massively underrating this team's chances of winning them of winning the conference, despite people still having them in the top twenty. All right, well that ends our look at the pack the Pac twelve uh, and our look at the ACC. But uh, as we wrap up our the fourth of our four special editions previewing college football. We figured we'd want to put out there who we have in our top 25. Uh, since we've already talked about the teams, we're not going to explain in depth. Maybe we uh, maybe we just go top five comparative and we'll go down by five teams each. Patrick, why don't you give me your top five and I'll give you mine and maybe we talk a little bit about the differences. Well, I have Georgia and Michigan at the top. I don't think there's really, I mean, there's barely anybody who doesn't have that, but they're not very smart if they don't. Uh, then I have Ohio State which that might be a surprise to some people, but it is how the AP poll has them. Um, and then I have LSU. This is the one that might surprise people. I, I just, LSU was better than Alabama last year, and they actually return half their team and, and their quarterback and a lot of their offensive line and a lot of their defensive line and a lot of their defense in general and a lot of their weapons. Alabama lost to LSU, was lower than them in the conference standings, and they don't return their quarterback. They're taking a transfer from Notre Dame who went 10-2 and against the Notre Dame schedule, which is basically an ACC schedule. I don't see how you can have them anywhere above five other than the fact that you're just banking on the fact that it's Alabama and this is still the lowest they've been ranked 
I think, what, since like 2015 or something like that, and that year they won the national championship anyway. So I really just think that, honestly, if you put this roster and you just like flop this, if you flip this roster with Florida State's roster, Florida State doesn't get talked about as even a top 15 team, in my opinion. I don't think this roster looks good on paper. I just have the faith, like everybody else, that Nick Saban will turn this into a top five roster, but I can't give them the credit beyond five. All right, well, I agree with you, uh, Georgia-Michigan. I have Alabama in third place. Um, we're, we might talk a little bit about this, despite the fact that they don't have a returning quarterback. Uh, but I think Alabama and LSU, a little bit of an opposite case. Last year, I had some teams like Washington that I thought people were going to take lightly that would sneak up on people. I think you got an angry Alabama team. Um, and the, the roster might not look great on paper, but that's because probably how you think they played last year. They played really undisciplined football last year. A lot of penalties. I don't think that's going to happen again with Saban. I think you get an angry Alabama team out there. I have them finishing number three. I was you know, jostling between them and Ohio State at three and four. I've got Ohio State at four. I could flip-flop them. I have USC at number five. Uh, like I talked about, I think they make the playoff. Um, returning quarterback is key for me. Uh, frankly, it's why I have them that high is I think they've got the one of the top returning quarterbacks in the nation. Um, and then let's go six through 10. I know you and I agree on number six. Well, I have it as Florida State, and then I have USC at seven. Uh, then I have Clemson, and then Washington, and then Penn State. Uh, the notable exception, I guess, would be Tennessee, who I don't have in there. But I, I have to say about the whole Alabama thing, I-, I think that how I land on five is that that's actually exactly where they finished last year. And I think that when you balance out losing the number one pick in the draft, a talent as good as Bryce Young, and also losing Jameer Gibbs with the fact that they played so terribly, I think they can play 10 times better than they did last year every game and still be the exact same team, which is the reason why I have them at five, just because of the fact that Jalen Milrow and Tyler Buckner are never going to make all the plays that Bryce Young did, and even with all the plays they he made, they still lost two games and still didn't get to the SEC championship game. But that's all I have with Alabama. I've talked about the reason why I have them with two losses before. Um, Still, but, um, and also there was no pass interference on the play that they lost to Tennessee based on, but that's a, that's a whole different story. But also that's one of the reasons I don't have Tennessee in the top 10 because they shouldn't have won that game. They shouldn't have won a lot of the games they won. I think they played against a Clemson team that looked like they hadn't practiced for their bowl game at all because I think Clemson had like three delay of games on like every single third down in the first quarter on a, at a neutral site game. I mean, it's ridiculous. So I don't think Tennessee is going to be as good as people think they are. We've talked about this before. Um, and also I will say, I don't, I'm the reason why I still have my number three and number four end of the season teams at number six and number seven heading into the season is because I don't believe that the best roster on paper is always the one who wins the games. Um, there's a lot of times where just because of the schedule alone, teams rise, teams fall. I think this is one of those years. I think that it's wide open enough that these teams really from three to eight, there's not that much separation, not as much as people think for sure. Um, and then I have Clemson, as I said. I think that you you have to keep them within at least two spots of Florida State because they're not there's not that big of a difference in their rosters. And then Washington I do have as the clear number two in the Pac-12, and I have to separate them as such in the rankings, so I'm giving them number nine. And then I have Penn State at number 10, lower than some, uh, higher, lower than most, higher than some, maybe, higher than me. Uh, and higher than you. But, you know, so, I, like I said, don't believe in that non-returning quarterback And we at all. don't need to necessarily bracket to the top five. So you had Alabama, Florida State, USC, Clemson, Washington, Penn State, uh, and I had starting at five, USC at five. You and I agree on Florida State at six. I got LSU down at seven. 
to me, I have I like you. I had a cluster: USC, Florida State, LSU. Put them in a put them in a shaker and roll the dice and see who comes out. We both have Clemson at eight. I have Washington at nine, as do you. Um, I struggled with Tennessee. I struggled between Tennessee uh, and Penn State at the number ten spot. I just think Tennessee has a better coach, um, and they have a similar situation at quarterback. They both uh, Drew Aller and uh, Joe Milton to me are the same quarterback. Unproven, a lot of talent, a lot of upside. Could make some mistakes. Neither. So it's basically. Uh, jo- I trust Josh Heupel more than I trust James Franklin. Since I told you where, who my 11 was, I'll go with my 11 of Penn State, 12 Texas, 13 Notre Dame, 14 Oregon, and 15 Utah. Who do you have at 11 through 15? Well, I have Notre Dame at 11. Honestly, it's hard for me to differentiate if they should be above both Penn State and Tennessee just because they have Sam Hartman, who is 100% going to be better than Joe Milton or Drew Aller, although at, at, honestly at the same time. They do have the potential to be better. I just don't think they will be. Um, but I have Notre Dame there as a result. That's kind of my safe landing spot with them. Then I have Tennessee at 12th. I don't think that's like a disrespectful ranking at all. I think that's fine. Um, and then Utah, I have them above all the rest of the Pac-12 teams um, other than Washington and USC. Um, but I have them just a little bit ahead of Texas. I don't trust Texas's quarterback situation as much as other people do. I mean, I saw Quinn Ewers play so much last year, and every single time I saw him play, no offense to him, but I said... I just don't see it. I don't see how this is a top five, top seven, not even, not not top five, top seven quarterback, but a guy that's going to lead that type of roster. They don't have an Alabama roster everywhere around him. And regardless of that, I have Oregon at 15. People underrate what Bo Nix did. As I said, they lost some fluky games. So I leave them at 15. And then carrying on from there, it's really so, honestly a cluster from one here. Comment. I also am taking into account the schedule a little bit here. It's a little bit of who I think is better. I am just straight up so, doing who's the best in the yeah, preseason. Okay, this I, is my 25 most talented, okay, and top I, to I, bottom. And I, and I, if I if I didn't know where to slot teams, I took a look at their schedule. I think Texas has the easiest schedule out of anybody, any of the 15 teams that we've talked about so far. Probably. They're probably up there. Um, but then I have Kansas State at 16. I have North Carolina at 17. I'm high-ish on Drake. I, I mean, this is like a, a pretty average ranking for them. Um, I have Wisconsin at 18. I trust Tanner Mordecai. I trust Luke Fickle enough to give them a top 20 spot, but not much beyond that. Tulane, I think somehow, despite the fact that they were a New Year's Six Bowl winner last year and returns the same quarterback, is actually being a little bit slept on being in the 20s. So I have them at 19 because I would just rather go with any team that's a lot more steady than go with a team like Oklahoma, who gave up like 50 points a game last year and went 6-7, and seven, but somehow is in everybody's top 25. And I do have them higher than most. Then I have Oregon State because DJU is just, you know, it's an experience, right? This could be this could be a five and seven team. This could also be a so, number five team. So I'm leaving them at 21. At 21 um, and I'm going to keep going through the rest of it to just move this quickly. I have South Carolina at number 22. I like Spencer Rattler. I've always liked Spencer Rattler. I have TCU at 23, again, on a pure talent standpoint. I don't do, I'm ranking these, te- I'm trying to rank these teams as blind as possible. I'm ignoring the fact that Alabama is Alabama, and I'm ignoring the fact that TCU made the playoff last year. That's why I have them so much lower than most other people do. Um, and Ole Miss, they always get thrown in at the bottom of the rankings in a random spot. This year, my cho- my, my spot of choice for them is 24. Uh, it's one of my favorite numbers. I like Lane Kiffin, so there you go. He gets my favorite number. It's my lucky number. Uh, and then finally at 25, the surprise team in the Big 12, Texas Tech. I don't know. you got to throw somebody at the bottom of the rankings, and I'm just choosing it to be Texas Tech. I think there was a version of this where I wrote in Iowa and I scrapped that and went back with it because I think that Iowa 
if you're putting them in the top 25, you're looking a little bit on projection of schedule. Um, and if you look at actually the Reddit Ask Me Anything with the guy who actually accumulates all the AP and makes sure that it works correctly, he does say that there are some voters who do vote a little bit on schedule. So when you look at some of those things, that's probably why you get an Iowa in the top t- in the top 25, whereas, you know, the coaches didn't go that way. Well, I'll tell you why I have Iowa in the top 25, but I agree with you. Kansas State at 16. I have Oregon State at 17, slightly ahead of your number 17 uh, North Carolina team who I have at 18. I have Ole Miss higher at 19. Um, I Wisconsin at 20. Um, I, you know, these teams, it's just a mixed bag down here. Wisconsin, I probably have them at 20. I went through many iterations of the order yeah, of this with I the same Wisconsin teams. I Wisconsin at 20 because their schedule is easy. Uh, I have Oklahoma next at 21, one slot below you. I have Texas A&M in the mix. I think people are forgetting about them. They do have a talented roster. They need to stay healthy. I'll let you comment in one bit. I agree with you that TCU drops to number 23. I've considered not having them in the top 25. I think they're going to be the hunted, and I think they've lost way too much, and they barely won a bunch of close games. And I think the script flips itself uh, this year. I have Iowa 24 because they always have a great defense, and this time they actually have a quarterback who can throw the ball. Who Cade, also injured his knee in practice. But so. he should be fine. Cade McNamara is not a Heisman Trophy winner. He's perfect for Iowa. He's a steady game manager, not spectacular, can make the plays, isn't going to make mistakes. They had a weapon in Eric Hall, a guy he's familiar with. I think they get enough on the ground. They probably have an All-American punter who's going to get them a, you know, flip the field every other drive. And Iowa manages to squeak out a couple more wins and be respectable in the Big Ten West. Easy schedule. And then I have South Carolina, uh, a team that, frankly, uh, is probably better than their record is going to indicate like every year because of just how brutal their schedule is. Yeah, they might want to stop playing Clemson. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, with the Texas A&M thing, I have them ending the season in the top 25. I just don't think that the roster is top 25 on paper. And the reason why I have them ending the season in the top 25 is because they were my random roll the dice who's going to beat Alabama in a weird upset team. And if I didn't have them beating Alabama, they are not even close to the top 25. So uh, I have them in at the end of the season because of that, but I don't think on paper they're a top 25 team. Okay, well, those rankings will be updated all year as usual, but... uh we got a couple more weeks for that as college football action kicks off in two weeks. Uh, so we will be adding college football pretty soon to our podcast. But that wraps up this special edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. It wraps up our special college football preview editions. Our next podcast, which is the regularly scheduled edition, will be on Monday, August 21st, where we will have a look at Patrick's weekend predictions and our weekly Major League Baseball review. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content including his Major League Baseball power rankings that are updated every Wednesday, his picks for next weekend's games or next weekend's series uh, that are posted, as always, on Thursday. Which next week will have football back in them, by the way, for Week Zero predictions. Very good. And his predictions for the entire college football season. All that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.